0: So good to see each of you. I'm glad that I get to worship with you once again today. Uh, we we are just in a fantastic season as a church, and every now and then I just kind of pinch myself and say, "God, I get to be a part of this. This is amazing." Over the last two years, we've been involved in something called Boundless. It's this initiative where we've been seeking to increase what we do in global missions locally and, and globally, of course, but then also to bless our own kids by creating some new space for them and to build a new sanctuary. And uh, the, the new sanctuary is coming along great. Uh, I've, I've been in there. I, I've seen what's going on. You are gonna be so blessed by all that's gonna happen in, in that room. I can't wait for us to, to gather in that space. It's an exciting time. And we spoke to our consultant not too long ago who's been helping us through this process. And he's amazed as well. He said there's a a lot of churches that have kind of just folded up their their dreams and their plans during this time, and he's amazed that we've been able to to move as far forward and keep doing this. Uh, He said, you know, 95% of churches don't even get a chance to do what we're doing, and many of them in this season have just kind of folded up stuff that they had planned on doing. Uh, We told him where we were financially, and he was amazed. It is amazing that we are so close to our target goal that we it has to be God. And so uh, I'm just amazed. I, I thank the Lord. Uh, I give him the glory for all that he's doing. And I stand amazed at a church body who's willing to step out in faith. And, and it's amazing because, you know, we've said this before, we don't pass an offering plate and those kinds of things. And it's amazing because there's fewer people in the room but God's still working. He's still making sure that all of these things are taking place because I believe that the Lord's hand is on this place and wants to use you, use us, use this church body to make a difference right here in our own community with a number of people who keep moving in, those who have yet to come into our church family, for us to continue to share the gospel here and then through our churches, our plants, church plants, and missionaries all around the world. And so if we could, can we just give God glory for what's happening in this place? It's for his glory. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, today, today we're going to start a brand new series. It's called Practical Atheist. And I'm basing this off of a book written by Craig Groeschel back in 2011 called Christian Atheist. And, and I believe that if ever there's a time for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ as Christians, not to shrink back, but to step up, to be bold in our faith and the power and the strength of Jesus Christ, it is now. It feels as though as the, there is a tidal wave of the world that is kind of washing over our culture, and it is not a time for Christians to shrink back and huddle up and to be afraid. It is a time for us to stand and boldly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. He has changed my life. He can change your life as well. And so that's why we're talking about this kind of thing. Uh, today is going to be a challenging conversation for some of us. It's one of those days where you're going to want to kind of, uh pastor that I had as I was growing in my faith said, you're going to want to pull your toes in under the pews. We're going to have pews. Pull them in uh, under your chairs. This This is going to stomp on some toes. But everything that I'm sharing today is shared out of a heart of love and a desire for you to know my good friend and Savior, Jesus Christ, for your life to be transformed by. So let's talk about the practical atheist by starting and talking about what is an atheist. Well, an atheist is somebody who does not believe there's a God. And if you don't believe that there's a God, then you're going to live your life as if God does not exist. Well, a practical atheist is somebody who believes that there's a God, but they live their life as if God does not exist. So in all practical purposes, they, they might as well be an atheist in the way that they Live. They live their life as if God does not exist. They believe he's there, but they live their life as if he does not exist. And how you live your life is reflected by what you believe. How you live reflects what you believe. And our theme verse as we go through this series comes from the book of Titus, Titus chapter one. Paul was writing to Titus and he's talking about what it means, how, how do we choose elders? What should we be looking for? And he says, you wanna make sure that you, you stray away from empty talkers and deceivers. And he says, there's a lot of them. And then Paul says, they profess to know God. They claim to know him, but by the way that they live, they deny him by their works. They are detestable disobedient and unfit for any good work. They profess that there is a God, but by the way that they work, by the way that they live, they exemplify the fact that they do not truly have a relationship with God. How you live reflects what you truly believe. Now, according to statistics, the numbers keep climbing on the number of atheists in our culture. Let me just say, if you're an atheist in the room or you're an atheist and you're watching online, I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that you're kind of checking things out and kind of asking some questions perhaps. But those numbers of atheists continue to climb in our culture and depending how the survey is worded, anywhere between three out of four and four out of five people would say that there is a God. They would say there's some kind of higher power out there. But a majority of those people do not live their lives as if God truly exists. They don't put their faith in him. They don't trust him. They don't live out his commands. And so in in this series, we're gonna talk about people who believe that there is a God, but they don't live their life as if he truly exists. There's a number of people uh, who don't fear him. They don't trust him. They, They don't wanna take that faith in God too far. And today what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about the fact that some people believe in God, but they don't really know him. They would say, I believe in God, but quite honestly, I would have to admit, I don't know him. I don't have a personal relationship with him. Now, God is the creator and the sustainer of the entire universe. He made all things. And he wants us, his creation, to know him. In fact, in Romans 1, 20, it says that, that God's you know, eternal attributes, his divine nature has been seen in this creation and he is revealing himself so that men are without excuse because he is saying, I want you to know that I'm the creator. I long for you to know me personally, but so many people reject him personally. And today what we're going to do, we're going to talk about three different levels, three different categories of believing that there's a God and relating to him. And we want to work our way, no matter where you're at today, towards the third category that we're going to talk about. So the first category would be this. This would be somebody who would say, I believe in God, but I don't know him. Quite honestly, I don't have a relationship with him. I don't know him. I believe there's a God. And some of you might say, well, isn't that enough? Isn't it enough just to believe that there is a God? Isn't that enough to get me into heaven? I believe there's a God. Won't that get me to heaven? The answer to that is no. The Bible tells us in the book of James that even the demons believe in God. They believe in God because they've seen him. Demons know he exists, and yet they will not spend eternity with him because they don't have a personal saving relationship with the God of this universe. And there are so many people among us who would say, I believe in God, but they aren't truly walking with him. Uh, the way that we would phrase it in, in our culture, we would call them cultural Christians. These are name only cultural Christians. They would say, I'm a Christian, uh, because my, my parents were. My mom was a Catholic. My dad was a Baptist. And we would go to church on Christmas and Easter if we had time. They would say, I'm, I'm a Christian. I'm an American. Or I'm a Christian. I attend church. Well, how, how can we truly know whether or not we have a relationship with God, that we don't just know about him, but we know him personally. Well, in the book of 1 John, John explains to us how we can tell. This is what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. He says, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So we can recognize whether or not we truly believe that there is a God if we obey his commands. And yet we have so many people who would say, yes, I am a Christian, but then they go about living their life, not obeying the commands of God. They will continue to do things that are antithetical to Scripture. They will continue to practice sexual perversion, everything from homosexuality to adultery and everything in between. And they'll claim, no, I can still be a Christian and do these behaviors. Uh, uh, greedy people, liars, thieves. And they'll say, no, I am a Christian. But by the way that they live, they are declaring they're liars. They don't know God. And their behavior proves it how you live reflects what you truly believe. There's people who know Bible verses inside out, they know historical facts, they can give you head knowledge, but they don't have a relationship with the living God. They don't know him because they don't obey his words. And it's not just simply a matter of, of outward external things that you and I do that gives us that salvation. There is an inward transformation that begins to propel this desire to obey the commands of God. Jesus talked often about the heart and the transformation that he wants to bring. In fact, he says this in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7 verse 21. Jesus says, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, the day of judgment, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare, Jesus says, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me you workers of lawlessness. Jesus, didn't we go to Sunday school? Didn't we get confirmed? Didn't we dedicate our children? Didn't we get dunked in water in baptism? God, wasn't a a nice person to other people? God, didn't I give a dollar to the dude at Walmart ringing the bell? And in Matthew 23, he will plainly say, who are you? We never had a relationship. I don't know you. We never knew each other. And yet there are so many people who say that they are Christians, they're followers of God because they believe that God exists. But the way that they live their lives and by the fact that they don't have a relationship with the Lord of the universe, Jesus Christ, it reveals they don't know him. And some of you, you believe in him. You believe There's a God, great starting point. But you have not allowed this God of the universe to have a personal, intimate relationship with you through his son, Jesus Christ, so that you would be transformed from the inside, then propelling your feet and your life to move in a direction to obey the commandments of God and walk with him. You're a good person. Others might look at you and say, well, there's there's a Christian, there's a Christian person. They behave Christian-like. Maybe you were here last week and you heard Mike Hockett's testimony, how he said, man, I would have called myself a Christian. I would say, I'm a good person and I'm going to heaven. And yet his life was being lived antithetical to, the, to scripture until he yielded his life personally to Jesus Christ. And it's my desire and I truly believe that today in this moment that the spirit of God is going to take a heart, going to take a soul and begin to whisper to that heart and whisper to that individual that they know him, but they don't know him personally. They believe that God exists, but by the way that you live, you are proving the fact that you are not saved. You do not know his son, Jesus Christ. And a level of conviction is going to happen that doesn't come with a guy from a microphone and some kind of guilt, but the spirit of God is going to wash over you. He's going to open up your ears and your eyes to the truth of who he is. He's created you to know him. The God of this universe wants a relationship with you. And you can know if you know him, if you obey his commands. How you live is reflected in what you believe. Now, there's another group of people. These are folks that would say, all right, I believe that there's a God. I just don't know him well. I believe that God exists. I just don't know. I know him kinda. I know him sorta. Like maybe somewhere along the line, you, you prayed a prayer of repentance. You asked Jesus to come into your life. And so you have all of this information. You have this knowledge about God. You have a basic understanding, and yet it's not bringing in any transformation. You have information without transformation. You have information about God, you have information about scripture, you have information of your need for him, and yet you don't have the transformation that begins to affect your life in the way that God has called it to affect you. You have information, but not transformation. And there's a little bit of this going on in a particular church that Paul addressed in Galatia. So he writes to the Galatians, and the Galatians, they knew God. They knew of God. They, they had a relationship with him, but they didn't know him well enough not to slip back into these, these weak, miserable kind of principles of legalism, right? They kind of want to add it onto their relationship with God. Now, for us nowadays, we don't have a whole bunch of people that are caught up in legalism. What, what we tend to see in our culture is we have people who have a worldview that is opposite a biblical or a scriptural Christ-like worldview, we have people who grow up in this world, they go to a school, they get indoctrinated by that school, they're told that uh, God did not create the universe, uh, everything just kind of evolved from a bang, uh, they're, they're told you can believe different things than what your parents tell you, or what scripture tells you, or what the church tells you, and all of it is fluid, all of it is changing, you can make it what you want it to mean, they have this worldview. And then somewhere along the line, they hear the good news of the gospel and they give their life to Christ, they come into the church, but into the church they bring their worldview rather than having the worldview through scripture, rather than having a worldview of Christ in them. And they slip right back into the old way of living. They have not attained all that God has for them and they are held in bondage to the world that they came from. Here's how Paul wrote it. Formerly, when you didn't know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So you had these idols, you you had these beliefs, you had these systems that held you in bondage and not experiencing the freedom of Christ. But now that you have come to know God, or rather are known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? So there are people that go right back into living the same world system that they came out of. They keep believing the lies of the enemy, the lies of the world around them, and they're held in bondage. You're held in bondage by pornography or you're held in bondage by the pull of the world and addictions that you find there you're held in bondage by lies of the enemy how can you knowing God having a relationship with him have him in your life not be transformed to this place of truly knowing him and walking with him so there are those who know God they just don't know him well and again how you live reflects what you believe There's a third category, and this is where we want to be. There are those who say, I believe in God. I know him intimately, and I serve him wholeheartedly. This is where we want to be. I know God intimately, and I want to serve him wholeheartedly. So what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it look like if we we truly have an intimate relationship with the God of this universe, and we want to serve him wholeheartedly? Well it means that I just have this increasing awareness that God is with me. I I just, I just have this understanding more and more of the presence and the provision and the power and the peace of God my prayer life is is this ongoing relationship this ongoing conversation with the god of this universe and he's speaking to me he speaks through his word he speaks through his spirit he speaks through other people he speaks through creation and through circumstances circumstances as the day kind of goes on i'm just realizing man god is orchestrating everything in my life i see him everywhere There's these moments where uh, I'm about to do or say the wrong thing, and the Spirit of God on the inside prompts me and says, don't don't go that way, do the right thing. And in those moments where I don't listen to the Spirit of God and I do the wrong thing, now there's conviction and repentance that follows. And he says, I want you to go back. I want you to do it the right way now. What it means to have this intimacy is I am doing life with God. I, I, I have this knowledge of him, and I am serving him wholeheartedly. The way that we talk about it around here, we talk about a love relationship, that we would love God, right? We're gonna love God by having an intimate time with him every single day. The first 1% as a starting point, the first 15 minutes of every day with my heavenly father, hearing from him, opening up this word, communicating with him, him communicating to me. 1% of our week gathering in this place, lifting up our glory and praise to the one who made us, the one who saved us. we would love God and then we'd love each other. We'd love the church. We'd love other brothers and sisters in Christ. We let his love pour into our hearts and then we begin to serve others around us, doing life together. And then together we go out into this world and we show the world the love that God has poured into our own hearts. Again, how you live, that reflects what you believe. An intimate knowledge of God, serving him wholeheartedly. And when you begin to know God, truly know him, there's just this desire to know more of him. If you look at Psalm 63... You turn there if you like. In Psalm 63, David talks about how he just had this desire to know about God and it creates in him more and more of this desire. Look at Psalm 63 verse 1. Here's what David says. Oh God, you are my God. You're mine. You're, You're not just my parents' God. You're not just my pastor's God. You're mine, God. You are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I want to know more of you. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, I don't know if you've ever come to this place in your walk with the Lord where where you just get thirsty. you're you're just kind of dry and parched and your soul longs to be nourished once again. You get to this place like I have got to hear and read the words of God. I have to let his word saturate my heart once again. It's been too long since I've opened this up. I long for the spirit of God to commune with me and I with him. I can't wait to gather in the assembly of the believers so that I can lift my voice in praise to this one who made me and saved me. His last His grace upon me. I can't help but be desirous of his spirit in the moment. God, fill me once again. David goes on. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name I will lift up my hands. Now I don't know if you've ever come in here and you've watched people lift their hands in worship and you thought, "Oh, there's a bunch of weirdos." We are. But this is the reason why we would lift our hands. We lift our hands not so that we would be seen. We lift our hands because like, there is no other place for my head to lift or my hands to be lifted to in surrender and praise and glory and to testify there is one true God. He has saved me and I love him. There is nothing in this world that would ever cause me to drop my head or my hands from my God and pull me away from him. I will worship no other but him alone. It's scriptural. if, If we're in the room and we're lifting our hands, it's not so you'll watch us lift our hands. We can't help but be like, God, you alone. You alone are good. I will praise you. I will love you with all of my heart, with all of my life. God, I have seen you. God, I know you. And I can't keep quiet about you. The things of this world, God, they don't satisfy. There is nothing that this world could offer to me. There is no pressure too hard that would ever cause me to reject you and the love that you have given to me. I will serve you because I know you intimately and I will serve you wholeheartedly. I love Psalm 9, verse 10. We could spend forever in the Psalms, but Psalm 9, verse 10. And those who know your name Put their trust in you. For you, O oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. He says, those who know your name. Let me ask you this. little litmus test. What do you call God? By what names do you know him by? Because what you call God could reveal the level of intimacy or the lack of intimacy that you have with him. Let me give you an example. By, by the names that you call me, would reveal how, how much you know about me. So so let's say uh, you give me a phone call. You're on the other line. You're selling something. So my phone rings. I pick it up, and, and you say, Hello, Mr. Thorson? Mr. Soreetson? You don't know me, and I ain't buying what you're selling. Let's say you call me Pastor Chris. Well, chances are you know a little bit more about me. Or maybe you call me Chris. You know more about me. My friends call me Chris. Or you call me Daddy. If you call me Daddy, you better be my daughter Shelby. <laughs> or you're my wife and you call me Stud Muffin. All right? <laughs> She's never called me that. There's not a chance. What do you call God? The big guy in the sky? The man upstairs? Sweet little baby Jesus? Jesus? You don't know him. There are some of you, though, when you refer to God, you call him your healer, because he's healed you. Some of you, you call him your sustainer, the one who's holding you together. You call him your comforter. There's others of you, you know him as your fortress. He is your rock. He's your shield. He's your strength. Others of you, you know him as father, friend, provider. He's my savior. He's he's the Lord of my life. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Do you know him? What names do you call God? You know him. You know him intimately. It says, those who know you know your name, and then it says they put their trust in you. Do you trust him? If you say that you know God and you don't trust him, you don't know him. Because if you knew him, you would trust him. Again, the way that you live reflects what you believe. A practical atheist believes, yeah, there's a God. I believe that God exists but they live their life as if he does not exist. But if you believe that there is a God and you have a relationship with him, now you become more and more passionate about him. And you can't wait so others might know the same freedom and forgiveness and the same power and the same peace and the same joy that he's given to you. You want them to know about it. And so that's our call. So how do we get to know him? How do we get to know him? That's the easiest part. It said up here, it said, those who have not forsaken, those, oh Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The way that you get to know him is by seeking him. He says, if you will seek me, when you seek me with all of your heart, you will find me. I would encourage you to begin to open this up, open up the word of God and begin to seek him. And I'm telling you, he will reveal himself to you. He longs to reveal himself to you. The one who made you and created you. The one who was willing to come and die in your place, he wants you to know him. It's not as though he is rejecting you. He longs for you not just to know that he exists, but to know him personally. And my prayer for you is Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, where it says this, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? There are those of you and you would say, I know there's a God. I just don't know him well. I know that he exists. I just know him kind of, sort of. I'm telling you, God wants to reveal himself to you. And maybe you'd say, well, I want the same thing. I want him to reveal himself to me. It's just I have so much in my life that is messed up. I have so much baggage that I'm kind of carrying around. I don't think that God would even want me near him. That's not true. I would suggest the thing for you to do is to come to your heavenly father and say, I'm a sinner and I need you to be my savior. I need your forgiveness. I long for you to wash me, to cleanse me, that today we could start new. And I would begin to walk with you this day, that you continue to reveal yourself to me so that I might know you intimately and serve you wholeheartedly. There are others of you. You say you know that there is a God, but you don't know him. You have never had a personal relationship with the God of this universe who longs that you would know him. You have never put together the fact that there is this God who created the entire universe, created this earth, made mankind, made Adam, made Eve, put them in the garden. And while they're in the garden, people created out of the dust, much less than God, poked their finger in his eye. And said, I'll go my way, not yours. And from that moment on, every single person is depraved. We have sin in us, separating us from God. And what is due to the creation made out of dust, who pokes its finger in God's eye and says, I'll be God, thank you very much what god does in return is works through people a nation and a moment in time comes to this earth himself jesus christ born of a virgin to live a perfect life to go to the cross to take all of that depravity all of that sin all that we have done wrong All that we owe to God upon his own shoulders and willingly shoulder that sin, bleed, die, be buried in a tomb. And on the third day, raised to life. Not a history lesson. Truth. Because he pops out of that grave and shows up to 500 people and said, see, I'm God and you can have life. And the Bible tells us that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus prayed in John 17. He said that they may know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And you can know him. Not just know that he exists, but have a relationship with him. So, that you wouldn't just simply have information, but transformation by the living God of this universe who wants to take up residence in your heart. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love for you to join us at one of our weekend worship services. For service times and information about BRCC, be sure to check out brookvilleroad.cc. God bless you.